mother tell me how it was when you were young Was the world so very old when your life had just begun Oh, grandfather, tell me, is it true you worked the land And the tools that you used you made with your own hands Here is an excerpt from The Book of Difficult Fruit by Kate Lebo. A Note on Difficult Fruit Fruit is how I best relate to plants, being myself an animal and hungry. You do not eat that which rips your heart with joy. Thomas Lux writes, But of course you do. We, the animals, are pleased to fulfill fruit's highest purpose. After frost and flower and water and light, to be cherished, carried off, and gobbled. Core flung from the window, pit hucked over the rail, Seed defecate in the dirt, under the sun. In this book, fruit is not the smooth-skinned, bright-hued, waxed, and edible array of the grocery store, nor is it a symbol of goodness and kindness and productivity and the virtue of civilization. Here, fruit is difficult. Blackberries are invasive. Huckleberries can't be farmed. Medlars must rot in order to sweeten. Wheatberry dust is more explosive than gunpowder. Consider the apricot. To a small child, apricot kernels can be toxic if eaten. To the sick, the same kernel might be medicine. To the cook, they are a secret source of flavor. To the consumer, who knows no better, the pit and kernel are garbage to throw away, which suits the fruit best of all. Fruit of the womb, we say, or fruit of my labor. What precedes the bounty contained by these cliches? The thing obscured but not erased by the feast, the mechanism that brings fruit to fruition, is pain. Each fruit in this book is difficult in its own way. Some are impossible to domesticate or tough to prepare. Some can be medicine or poison, depending on the size of the dose. Some are an acquired taste, some can't even be acquired. Here, their culinary, medicinal, historical, cosmetic, and cultural roles show us where what nurtures and what harms are entangled. Imagine a blackberry briar, forbidding and sweet, and follow me in. This is Katie and Kay. You're tuned into Living Permaculture. I am here with Jerome Ostentowski and Michael Thompson. Yes, good morning, Michael. Good morning, Jerome. Well, we have um, a little break, and so I figured we would talk a little bit about um, uh, ecosystems design and our long uh, relationship uh, um, owning the company and designing greenhouses. I think it's probably only on 15 years now. Maybe longer. Yeah, that's about right. It's 14, 14 years since we started. Um, yeah, 15. No, I'm sorry. We started in 2006, so it's 15 years now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. Um, we've met a lot of people all over the world uh, who've been wanting to get into, you know, high performance greenhouses, and uh, you know, using only the sun very, very little backup heat or cooling, 
And uh, we've seen a lot of people send photos of bananas in Canada and and uh, all kinds of uh, successful food growing stories. So it's been very gratifying. Yeah, and we uh, documented this in the Forest Garden Greenhouse book. Um, that's right. coming. That's coming on. I think I don't know, maybe nine, eight, or nine years now that that's been out, and it's right, twenty fourteen. It, yeah, it's selling. Uh, it's selling better now uh, with COVID because people are paying more attention about how to grow their own food and and looking at you know uh, sustainable ways and and energy efficient ways to grow their own food and also just create the environments that you can do with a forest garden greenhouse. I mean. Uh, have a tropical greenhouse that um, you can walk into. I just strung up my hammock uh, next to the, the fish tank and um, and just, you know, it's just nice to go down and soak up all the uh, the ambiance and the humidity and it gets a especially, se- 70 degrees. Especially degree. in the winter, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially in the winter. It's like a vacation only a few feet away from your well, yeah, I moved the hammock out into the forest garden, um, and I also just built a tree house next to the rabbits and the pigeon uh-huh. house. So, but uh, anyway, we can talk a little bit. Um, we also are getting a lot more interest in building greenhouses. We have a couple, yes. two or three new projects, and I don't know. You must have about uh, at least a half well, a I dozen. Have many, yeah, have many. I have, uh, yeah, good. I have seven or eight right now on my screen that we're doing this winter. Yeah. Um, and uh, the eighth one is uh, probably not going to start until the spring. But, um, yeah, and they keep coming. It's uh, been amazing. I've, I really have to uh, to blame the pandemic on, on raising a lot more people's interest in growing their own food. And all the ones in uh, the uh, cold climates uh, seem to search on the Internet and find our website, uh, or many of them do, and get in touch with us and, uh, we help them build incredible growing environments wherever they are. So we have them spread out from New Mexico and Arizona to uh, Pacific Northwest in British Columbia, or Calgary, Alberta, uh, down to uh, uh, South Carolina and North Carolina, a whole bunch up in the Northeast. Um, it's really incredible. And I, and I still, you know, I've recently looked at some, uh, you know, some new videos and some, uh, listened to some podcasts put together by, uh, Elliot Coleman and his daughter, Clara. And, and I, you know, I oftentimes get queries from people, inquiries about greenhouses when I ask them in detail what they really want to do. Some of them really seem uh, perfect for uh, Elliot Coleman Four Season Farm style uh, hoop houses, simple hoop houses uh, with row covers and just doing cold hardy greens through the winter, you know, just to produce vegetables. Because uh, a lot of people that get in touch with me are on a real, real budget. And, you know, so growing bananas in Calgary, Alberta isn't quite, you know, what they're after. Um, so it's fun. It's really fun to be able to have someone else like Elliot Coleman to point them to. Yeah, well, you know, radishes in the middle of the wintertime, if you can harvest them out of your greenhouse, or they're exotic almost because. Right. Uh, um, and I, you know, I gave up on bananas. Uh, well, I had a nice run with them for 
five years or so, and then um, they basically needed to be phased out of the greenhouse because, right. um, and that's true with um, um, a lot of what I started with, you know, nine years ago in the greenhouse, almost everything has been replaced with other plants. It's just part of this natural right. succession that goes on. Uh, when, as the soil gets better, certain plants are not happy uh, growing uh-huh. in the in the 25% organic matter. So I've gone from, you know, um, a lot of the stuff I grew to now I have cherimoya and pomegranate figs, um, Brazilian cherries. Uh, I put in a loquat uh, and um, more citrus. Citrus is one of the yeah. one of the boilerplate things, and the beautiful part about it is that fruits in the summer or in the winter time. So when you have all this fruit in the summer outside, why bother um, growing and or have having that much uh, to fruit? So all the citrus comes in. The pomegranates are September. Um, then you know the figs can go right into the late uh, fall as well. Then you have all your greens and your perennial vegetables mm-hmm. underneath all of that, and your culinary herbs and your medicinal herbs as understory. So it's a it's a medicine chest as well as a yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, as well as a food forest as well. So um, you know, we're we've got our spilanthes growing there, and we're making salves and tinctures out of everything that we have in the understory right now. And um, and then we just, you know, sit back in the hammock and mm-hmm. uh, stretch out and have some kombucha and just uh, uh, soak it all in, you know, and uh, you don't have to, you can save your frequent file miles and you don't have to go. Uh, <laughs> well, I am going yeah. over to Puerto Rico to do a project with Stephanie um, we're doing a, a, a PDC there in uh, February on the 14th. You can look on our mm-hmm. website. But, and I'm also going to ecosystem to, to the um, EcoFarm conference in, in Monterey in late January. That's going to be fun to see what's happening there. But, uh, but just, uh, you know, and all with the, uh, with the evolution of plants, that really makes it exciting, too, is that you always have something different to grow, uh, I can't imagine just having the same old plant that, uh, you know, and there's so many things you want to try. So one thing comes in, uh, you, you take it out after it doesn't do well, or even if you want to try something else, um, mm-hmm. then you put something else in. And I usually have a nursery uh, to back everything up. I do uh, a tropical and Mediterranean nursery in the greenhouse, so I have things that are in five-gallon pots or 10-gallon pots, either ready to sell for our other greenhouses that we design if they want some tropical or Mediterranean, or I can just uh, sell them for people who uh, want to do patio citrus, or I can put something in. um, I'm going to be putting in finger limes. No, I just did that, actually. So finger limes, it's a very exotic lime. It looks like a hand, and it also... When you peel it open, it is like citrus caviar, <laughs> and very, <laughs> yeah, very sweet. I, I have to uh, I, I have to interrupt you, Jerome, and say that uh, uh, when you came over here to our house for Thanksgiving this year for dinner and brought uh, pomegranate and some of your oranges from the greenhouse, 
You know, we eat a lot of that kind of food in the wintertime. My wife loves to buy, you know, organic pomegranates whenever she can find them at the store. But uh, I have to say that your 25-plus percent organic material soil produces the sweetest fruit that we've ever been able to buy in any store. Well, the reason Uh, is that I've selected varieties that mm -hmm. do not have to be picked or they do not fall off the tree. Uh, The pomegranates, um, if you pick them uh, in the wrong time, they're going to taste just like the ones you have in the store. And same with the oranges. Uh, I have a Washingtonian navel orange, and I saw a little blurb on the Internet that this is one of the best uh, oranges you can actually get because it does not have to be picked. It just keeps getting riper and riper and riper. And I just sent off a box to one of our patrons uh, with pomegranates and oranges and some Brazilian seed down to um, to, to Montana. So uh, it's fun to you know share this stuff uh, with everybody. And uh, say somebody comes over and helps me out, they get a pomegranate or a couple of oranges, and or they'll eat some um, Brazilian cherries or kumquats or uh, they're the next thing that come on and. I've added about seven new citrus trees uh, in wow. my in my palette now, so that uh, uh, you know more limes, uh, different kinds of uh, lemons, and grapefruit, and mandarin. Uh, so it'll be a smorgasbord of citrus. Uh, you won't have to go to Florida or have it shipped in right. anymore. So, and then uh, w- one of the things that uh, people don't really put as a priority when they build a greenhouse is to build soils right? and build them up front like a lot of our our projects that we've started a whole year in advance to build uh, some kind of soil to put in the beds after we... Yeah, Jerome, why don't you describe that process that our, our clients often go through to build soil in advance of the greenhouse construction? Well, we've done it a couple different ways. Again, there's not just one way to do things. And uh, one one of the projects we did in Red Butte, I think, uh, up in Aspen, uh, is that I had the the manager uh, build some compost piles from some of the horsemen they had. And we hauled in some really good, uh, when they were doing the excavating over there for the dinosaurs, we hauled in a couple truckloads of that peat and then we uh, brought in some other stuff that was available from other organic farms and then we just mixed all that and filled the beds and that worked out pretty good. Um, one of the things you have to be careful about is the, the contaminated soils that, that have herbicides in them and that, that has backfired on us a couple of times. So the other way I like to do it, and the way I did it at the Roaring Fork High School is just, and the way I've done it at my place, and it's documented in the book, is to sheet mulch and use hugaculture techniques. So you don't really build any soils outside or ahead of time. You just add them as you're building the beds, and you plant right into them with annuals. And uh, they gr- the annuals will grow like crazy. And it takes about six months for all that to break down. And then you just 
So basically, you're just making a lasagna garden. And it can be uh, three, three feet deep, two feet deep. Uh, and you add a bunch of wood chips and branches and mycelium and uh, rabbit cleanings and rabbit straw uh, mixed with manure and chicken manure and, uh, you know, wood chips and uh, whatever you can find. Uh, just keep layering it and you add the mycelium and the worms and uh, just keep it moist. Uh, I usually do this in the fall and just let it sit over the winter and um, at the end of six months you have uh, pretty much broken down worm castings, a, a foot of it, and you can plant right into that. So there's lots of different ways. And that's what nature does when you think about we just speed it up. Nature might build a half an inch of soil that way up in the pinions and or up in the aspen trees, but we can build a foot of soil just by adding more. And if we have deep beds, I use pallets and, and pond liner and just fill up the box and let it cook slowly. It doesn't actually fire up. And um, it's kind of like uh, Korean farming, uh, cold composting. Uh, and that's, that's, that's one of the, I'm doing that right now. I, I've got 60 rabbits, and they're we're mining their straw yard and getting just huge amounts of rabbit and leaves and hay they didn't eat. Um, it's a gold mine. Plus, we just butchered 10 rabbits. Uh, Jen and Hannah came over and uh, um, helped me process the rabbits, and they they took home. Uh, rabbit and a bunch of tinctures and pomegranates and oranges and salves and so it was like a little little barter fair there they came over yeah, and, nice. uh, this part of our natural economy that uh, right uh, that we're going to talk about um but that that's another thing that so that's one way to build soils and then um and then you know we have every plant we have in the greenhouse or outside, we use four or five different ways, or we sell it four or five different ways. Perennial plants can be divided. You can eat their young uh, spring shoots coming out of the snow. You could harvest it later on. Uh, you know, a good example is lovage. Uh, that we can harvest lovage all year long, and we sell it to the restaurants in Aspen. They make oils and they use it for soups, and I use it every day. Then you can uh, let it go to flower when it becomes a, an insectuary plant. Um, put that in the greenhouse, and in the summer it'll have all kinds of beneficials around it. And then you can collect the seed, and then in the spring you can dig up the plant, divide it, and sell it at plant sales. That goes on for just about every plant we have. It's not like you plant oh, yeah. a radish and you pull it up and it's gone. Perennial plants just keep on giving. They right, just... and if you uh, like, you taught me years ago, Jerome, when I had a bought some seed from Gurney's catalog uh, for some uh, oak leaf lettuce, really a nice light green colored lettuce. And the first year it came up, and it had aphids all over it. And you said, when I asked you about it, you said, "Yeah, just let it go to seed, and then collect the seed, replant it, do that again next year. After a few years, the plant will have evolved." as it will, uh, to resist uh, 
the appetite of those aphids, and it worked. And I have been, let's see, this year was the 13th summer that I have replanted that lettuce from collected seed, and aphids didn't touch it at all. And it was absolutely delicious. And uh, to be able to learn and uh, to see uh, the evolution of plants that are in your garden uh, is, is just this beautiful picture of nature and how you can have a relationship with it, you know. Um, there's so many things that come across that I come across that are seeds to different plants, and I'll put them in a little uh, tub in my front window and see if I can get them to sprout and then see if I can get them to uh, grow a little bit and see what they might do. Uh, I had an interesting little fun thing with a little bonsai tree that I have, and I put it out in the summertime in the backyard. And uh, last summer I put it out in the... Um, and among the other plants, you know, so that we catch some water from my spray irrigation and whatnot. And a, a little seed from a cosmos flower fell into the soil of the bonsai tree. And when I brought it in last winter, that little seed sprouted in the bonsai tree roots. And somehow, when that seed sent its roots down into the soil, something in the soil, maybe the mycelia in there said, oh, hey, welcome. I have to tell you something. This is miniature world here. This is bonsai, so don't get too big and out of control. And indeed, that was the cutest little cosmos flower I'd ever seen. It flowered like two inches tall instead of three feet tall, and and it was just adorable. And so, I recently, my wife took uh, her iris, her giant bearded iris uh, roots apart. You know, because they grow like ginger under the ground, and you split them up. And then you have, you know, instead of having 10 of them, you have 50 of them. Yeah, I know. Uh, that. That's And you got the plant to mind. Um, I know yeah, I, I dug. Yeah, exactly. So, we'll so I know that I dug up um, about 40 lavender plants that your wife wanted to get rid of because they became weedy yeah. in your front yard. So that was really great for me. I've. I'd also get all kinds of uh, poppies from you that become weedy, and I put them in where I need to go, in my swales. Or uh, so that's. We just have a little more time, but we talk a little bit more about uh, the natural economy uh, that um, that you know we both kind of uh, dabble in, and we eventually want to write a book about the natural economy because the one we have right now doesn't seem to be uh, destined to be. Uh, going very far, uh, you know, with inflation, and uh, we might be uh, wheeling out a whole wheelbarrow full of dollars to get a couple of cabbages like they did in the Weimar Republic. Um, um, we may be on that track, but we're already, uh, you know, doing a lot of bartering, and I, uh, we don't, I think we talked about your bartering. Uh, just the other day, I went into Aspen. Uh, I don't usually have to go in there, but I had an order at um, seven seven eight oh nine to take in, it was kind of the catch of the day, and Byron Gomez, uh, you know, received all of that, you know, stuff. I brought him oranges and pomegranates and celery and uh, lemongrass. Uh, he was opening the next day, and then I also got to go to the thrift store and I picked up about two hundred and fifty dollars worth of my winter wardrobe uh, and uh, yeah yeah instead of using money right <laughs> yeah and i said i and i met uh some of the gals that have been in there for 25 years or so and uh, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then and the other thing is that I also um, stopped by the Explorer Bookstore because they weren't uh, carrying my book, so I dropped off a copy of my book. Uh, I call it a, perma, perm, a permaculture trip, a perma trip, because I never go without. Um, then I, on the way home, I stopped at the recycle, uh, well, at the dump, and I went into the to the free box there and picked up I know, a couple hundred dollars worth of furniture from my cabin. Uh, and I had been there the day before, uh, taking my recycles there and picked up a whole bunch of stuff, for, you know, deck chairs and. A, a, an oak table, and so it's uh, that. That's kind of. A, uh, we'll have to talk about that on another on another trip, uh, another show yes. uh, coming down the pike yeah. here. So, well, thanks and for coming. Places you yeah. bet, you bet. There and there's a, just one last little tidbit in here is uh, there is a Facebook page called Buy Nothing, Roaring Fork for people who have things they want to give away or things they need. That's a good place to look. Great. Freebie. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. It's been fun. All right. We'll we'll see you next time. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Katie and Kay. This has been Living Permaculture, a conversation with Jerome Ostentowski and Michael Thompson. Thank you for listening. Oh, grandfather, tell me how it was when you were young. Was the world so very old? When your life had just begun Oh, grandfather, tell me Is it true you worked the land And the tools that you used You made with your own hands Before time was only money And machines made man a slave Was the world all milk and honey Before all the streets were paved Grandson, I'll tell you truly how it was when I was young. The world was full of wonder.